Welcome to this episode of G220 Radio, and today we will finish discussing Proverbs chapter 12. Join us on the other side. And welcome to G220 Radio. My name is Mike, and as you can see on the YouTube, I am by myself. Obviously, audio listeners, you cannot see me or Ricky, so it doesn't really matter. But I am Mike, and I am hosting the show alone today. Ricky had um, had some things come up and isn't able to be with us today. But I'm going to finish this series to go on and then next week we're gonna dive into some more current news coming out of arizona nothing to deal with the reformed camp though we will discuss what has happened out there and it's a show that i'm kind of leading on it's going to be hopefully a fun show to listen to but this week, we here on episode 520, we are going to be going through and finishing up Proverbs chapter 12. So to remember and to think about a little bit of what happened last week and kind of just to set up this book a little bit is we're talking about wisdom literature. And the Proverbs, which are short kind of pithy statements that have an impact. There's a meaning which is very kind of obvious on the front end. But there's also layers of meaning. That a, a proverb impacts us in much more than kind of the very obvious reason. And one thing we should consider when we think of kind of the book of Proverbs is that this is built on an understanding of God. We know the first verse, chapter one, verse seven, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so when we think about wisdom, when we think about what is going on here, we should see this as something that is practical that kind of in, in one sense it does hit us right the in right here right now it causes us to think about how we live our life and really to live our life in the, for the glory of god but we also learn what fools do the foolish the slugger the one who, in a sense, does not fear God. He would be the one in Psalm 14.1. The fool says in their heart, there is no God. He he lives in a world that, and, and in one sense, he doesn't think God has ordered. And so when we think about kind of Proverbs and when we really look into what is going on, even in kind of this chapter, and in this section, which is just a lot of pithy statements, one after another, we're going to look at them not only individually, but within groups. We're going to see how they connect together and are weaving. I have come to the belief that Solomon was very deliberate in how he kind of joined these together in kind of the style of Proverbs. We see this in James, for example, that James will move from one topic to the next and then kind of like repeat that topic to move to a new topic. Then he may repeat that one and connect it to another one. And he's kind of have this strings in which he's just kind of going for going back and through topics, but it's not, it's organized very, it's organized, but we maybe as English readers don't catch it much because it's not organized in how we kind of organize and read. It's a limitation we have there. So we're going to look at 
here Proverbs chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 15 and go to verse 28, the end of the chapter. And to think about these things and really just listen to me think about as I've kind of read over them and thought a little bit about them and kind of what they mean and connections and looked at um, a commentary to try to make sure I'm not heretical. It's always a good thing as long as the commentary is good. And to, to think about these things. So to start off, I'm going to read <clears throat> 15 through 22, kind of the first section. This is in the ESV. And it says, The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but the wise man listens to advice. The vexations of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores all insult. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. There is one who is rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil. But those who plan have, who plan peace have joy. No ill befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. Lying lips are abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. And one thing you can kind of see here in this section, we'll look at verse 15 kind of by itself, and then 16 through 22 is this idea of tongues and lips. And the difference in, in the wise and the fool and how they work with it. But first, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes. I think this is, when we, we think about it, we can look out in the world. This is always a good thing to go and to observe what's going on in the world how are people acting and when we think about the way of the of the fool the the way here obviously in the bible maybe not obviously but the bible help uses way as kind of the way of life how they live kind of how they pursue in this life and so the way of the fool is right in his own eyes. So we can see here that there's this connection between foolish people and the kind of their own thinking that they're, they're right. There is kind of not this, as we'll see in the later part, allowing people to speak wisdom into their lives. So a fool, he makes his plans, he thinks about them, but he doesn't consider others. It's just what is right to me? What seems right at the moment, as we can see maybe a little bit later on? The, the fool here then is, is one who doesn't want outside help the wise in contrast so the way of the wise listens to advice the wise understands as um proverbs also say that there is there's benefits of multiple counselors to seek kind of feedback and to think about things to think about what is life to in one sense to have people tell them they're not Maybe right. This is maybe not the outcome you should do. Or maybe an ex extreme example to to look at this is a fool when he gets angry, maybe at someone might punch them, might react in a way, and he might be thinking he's justified this person did this or that and I, I was only trying to defend myself or some or kind of in that way when outside observers 
would say. I was like, well, not really. But he has this kind of this idea that he is right in his own eyes. Like it doesn't kind of matter what other people think. It's they may even say, don't stop pushing your morality on me in one sense. They don't want they want they don't want people coming in on them and how they thinking. I mean, this is very much what's happening today. Very much this. It's my truth. I'm right. I do what's best for me. Um, this kind of I really relativistic morality. And here the Proverbs is, is pushing against this. And saying, no, actually, wise people listen to advice. Wise people have people speaking into their lives. And this is what's important. And for us to consider, do we... Listen to advice from other people, or do we hold on saying, No, this is right, what I'm doing is right, even though people around you are saying, No, no, you shouldn't do this. This is not this is not what you should do. And to really consider then what makes What will make sense? God has given us people to speak into our lives. We we like to quote it, iron sharpens iron. There's this, this idea that God wants us to not be thinking on our own, but to listen to others, to listen to those who have maybe gone before these in trials. So and to find their words in comforts. <clears throat> so moving on to verse 16, just to, to add, the vexation of a fool is known at once, but a prudent ignores insult. The idea here, and to, to think about it, is that something has been said to, to the people. And we know the type of person by how they react to the words. <clears throat> and that how they react tells us whether they're kind of foolish or, in this case, kind of prudent or wise. So when we think about this idea, okay, someone has come, they said something. Well, when the fool hears something, probably critical, let's assume it's critical because of how the pruning ignores an insult, that the fool is insulted and... They, they get defensive. They maybe even kind of attacked in in one sense. <coughs> um, and to to think about it, there is a sense in which here the fool kind of acts thoughtlessly. That. And they maybe in turn, they return an insult. They're known. They lose control. But the prudent, so the one who is, who's living wise, who's thinking about what's going on, he ignores an insult. He understands what it is person is just trying to be mean 
this person is acting carelessly, thoughtlessly. He's just insulting people. <clears throat> you know, and you know, an example would be you get cut off while driving and you like scream at the person. You may even seen people do that. They get cut off and it's not you, but they're like honking the horns and they're yelling and they may even use inappropriate gestures. There's this thoughtlessness with it. The fool reacts. Whether it's real or <clears throat> imaginary or whatever it is, they're careless would be another way to describe it. They're going after it. But the prudent, they, they understand. They may not appreciate, I mean, this is not saying they appreciate being insulted, but they understand what it is and they ignore it. <clears throat> they don't give thought to it. It, it is what it is. And so there's there's in one sense, you see here that the prudent is being kind of gracious, gracious, gracious or merciful. They're not kind of on the attacks, so they ignore the insult. They or another way is they're showing they're treating the person who's insulting them the way that they want to be treated one who is caring and loving. Now, obviously there are sins here. We're talking like insults and this careless action with the tongue and the re person receiving how they react. <coughs> So the prudent ignores it. They go on their day. Their day is not shaped by how someone has reacted to them. And then in verse 17, we continue this idea. So verse 16, the we see how fools and the prudence react when they're insulted. But now it switches to the speaker. Whoever speaks true. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. This relates back to, obviously, the command not to bear false witness, not to make accusations, false accusations. The um, catechism ex kind of explores that this is... In, in, is trying to tear down your neighbor by acute, by saying false things about him. So it's not necessarily just in a court, you're bearing false witness, but how even you talk to your neighbor, are you truthfully representing your neighbors, your family, your kids, or are you lying about them? So when we now think about the command and come to verse 17, whoever speaks the truth gives audience evidence. Their, their word can be trusted. They're, they're trustworthy witnesses. So when they speak, they can be listened to and known. The false witness just utters deceit. That's just, they just lie. That's all they're doing. They can't be trusted. And here we see then this, the command, this proverb built upon the 10th, the 10 commandments, especially this, um, <clears throat> sorry, the seventh. Or no, the eighth. I'm sorry. And to look at and to to think about, okay, am I 
speaking truth? Am I giving honest evidence? Or am I one who wants to deceive? Whatever that reason may be, am I trying to maybe once and hide my sin? I've sinned and now I'm trying to hide it. Or am I one who who speaks? Or you know, in one case, if I if I did sin to to speak truthfully that what I have done is sin. Or just and just everyday lives, speaking in ways that honors the truth. Instead of trying to maybe exaggerate to prove a to form wrong opinions to kind of get a reaction to with it when it's not really what's happening with it with what's going on and in verse 18 continues this theme so we've had kind of these thoughtless reactions in verse 16 this idea of honesty and lying and the established and trusting. But then we move into kind of reckless words. And I'm kind of following here uh, Dwayne Garrett's outline that we kind of react to kind of this thoughtless reaction into reckless words. And verse 18 says, there is one whose rash words are like swords thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. What a vivid imagery. Your rash words are like thrusting a sword at someone. This kind of carelessness is like kind of trying to, in one sense, wound someone, hurt something. You're you're thrusting your sword at them. This should cause us to stop and to think. Stop and to consider our speech and to stop before we say something. To think about how our words and what we say does matter. Rash words hurt. Not thinking about what you're going to say hurts people at times. I mean, we all been in that. You say something without thinking and then you're backpedaling, trying to qualify everything you're doing. To use another metaphor to mix it, you keep digging your own hole. Rash words are careless words. They're reckless. They're not considering the person that they're talking to. And so there's like this sword thrust that's trying to hurt them. But the tongue of the wise bring healing. So we see the, the sword thrust and healing are are composed the tongue of the wise those who speak the wise speak bring healing here there's we can see that this kind of slowing down thinking about what you want to say and how you want to convey it allows to bring healing in 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 a way that rash words don't even if there isn't a lot of strife, the words you there bring peace. Keep the peace. So there's this connection with careless and reckless words kind of tear down or hurt people where careful, thoughtful words brings healing. I to see examples of even like 
when someone is down, life is getting them down. They're going through hard things. We're talking a little bit about this phrase in Sunday school, not in this in this way, but I think it, it plays out. <clears throat> when people will say, you know, God's way is not our ways. And while this is true, that his ways are not our ways, and kind of within Isaiah 55, it's in context of his mercy, that his mercy is not like our mercy. Sometimes trying to help, we say rash things, and it doesn't, it doesn't help. But then there's those that are, are wise and they're careful by what they want to say to, to help the person, to bring healing, to show their caring. I think Twitter exemplifies this first statement of rash words are like sword thrusts. And just being able to just put it out there and it's fast and it's quick. And I feel like at times people are careless with their words. And now there are some, my pastor and some others that have tried to use Twitter in a way to edify, <clears throat> to use it as a way that Christians can't see it and be edified by what they're saying this is that's would be the opposite this is the tongue of the wise that's bring healing they're they're trying to convey something special their words are not quick and rash <clears throat> and so we have that again moving so kind of with reckless words and as we think about it we come back to in verse 19 the idea of truthful lips, lying tongues. Verse 19 says, Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. And to, to think about, I mean, this time scale, truthful lips endure forever, but lying lips is but for the moment. And how true is that in our own lives? My son lies. My daughter lies. I, at times, probably still lie. I try not to, like everyone else. But it happens. But when we think about when we lie, what are we trying to do? What are we trying to accomplish? Or even if we have the thought to lie, what are we trying to accomplish? What's for the moment? It's trying to cover ourselves in the moment. That we're trying to hide what we have done. And tell my son. I asked my son, "Do you did you brush your teeth?" He tells me no, because he doesn't want to do it. It's in the moment, and then I find him out. I go to his toothbrush and see like it's dry. I know you've lied. When we lie, it's in one sense to make us look better than what we are. But it's for the moment. And even in one sense, con, con artists, ones who make their living on lies, have to keep the story going. And it's like a movie with bad plot holes.
but the emphasis is truthful lips endure forever. Those who speak truth endure forever. And when we think about why, why this would be true, it's because we serve a God who is truth. There is no lies in God. Or as John would say, there's no darkness in him. God cannot lie. He's not like man. God is the perfection of truth. That's why truth endures forever. Because truth is rooted in God. And when we speak truth, we speak about something that is enduring. We are in reference to one who endures forever. And when we speak truth, it's not about the moment. We consider the what happens. I mean, we've already looked at it. That there is this false witness that utters deceit. They they can't they can't be trusted. It's in the moment, but it destroys what could happen. It, it breaks the relationship when someone finds out they've been lied to and has to be restored. But you don't break relationship when someone is truthful. Who, who honors you in making sure you know the truth. So it endures forever because of not only what it's rooted in, being that God is truth. He is the perfection of truth. But it keeps the relationship. Now, they may not like it, and they may cut off you there. But the one thing they can't say is that you lied. Now, we speak the truth in love. So this isn't kind of a cold, hard truth. It's, it's spoken in light of the person in front of you. Or the person you may be interacting on Twitter. The truth endures forever because the truth is only found in the triune God. And moving with kind of lying tongues and truth is in verse 20, we see deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who have, those who plan peace have Joy. Now we we kind of get to the heart of the issues of the lying tongue and deceits and rash words and false witness. That it comes from in the heart of those who devise evil. They want to again in the moment. They're trying to maybe even justify what they've done, which is wrong. Or they're trying to cover up so that people don't know what they've done is wrong. They're trying to not trying to keep their sin hidden in a way so that people can't find it in the closet that no one looks into. But the deceit is rooted in the heart it's in it's in the heart and it's expressed in those who devise evil who plan to do what is wrong they may even have already planned how to figure out an alibi or a lie in order for them to do it to be deceptive 
So deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who who play in peace have joy. This seems like an odd contrast. But what we see here, and here's, here's the contrast, it's doing what is wrong, hurting someone, def devising evil versus trying to live a peaceful life, a life that honors people, that does what is good. I mean, we you hear this all the time, not saying this is good wisdom, but you got to get rid of the toxic people in your life. The people who bring you down. See, those who plan peace have joy because they're trying to love one another. They're trying to love those around him. They're trying to love the other images of God that roam this earth and around in their spheres. That's not what the wicked are doing. Those who have deceit in their hearts. No, they're here to bring. They're trying to bring. They, they're not trying to. They bring. Destruction. Chaos. When someone rummages through your car and takes things. They're not there to help promote peace they're thinking about themselves they're doing right in their own eyes but those who plan peace have joy you should think of jesus's words blessed is the peacemaker the one who who goes and, and tries to seek peace We're called to be at peace with all men in Romans. We're to, to think about others higher than ourselves. As Christians and what we see even in Jesus, that those who plan peace have joy. Because they are trying to treat others the way they want to be treated. They are, they are trying not to get at someone, but to build them up. And so we need to consider just what are, what are our actions? What are our words? How are they going? And 21 kind of continues this thought that with the wicked devising evil and those who plan peace are having joy, that no ills befalls the righteous. This isn't to say they, they don't live, they, as, gospel, as prosperity gospel say, is that they don't have <clears throat> trials that they, in this life, it's not what it's saying, but that there's a <clears throat> that seeking kind of thinking about others and being at peace also brings you peace that no kind of ills will fall on you. But the, the wicked are filled with trouble. Their lives are in shambles. They don't have what we would say good lives because sin compounds. They're filled with trouble. Every aspect of their life is brings upon them trouble because they're doing what is right in their own eyes. But the wise who plan for peace 
even in the trials, they're not, they're not in trouble. They're, they're not, their life isn't filled with all of these consequences of sin. Because they're, they're looking at others. They're trying to be peacemakers. They're trying to be ones who honor. And so in verse 22, as it kind of heads into and leads into is lying lips are abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. So those who lie, who in one sense do not reflect the character of God because God cannot lie, they're abomination to the Lord because they're against him. And as the Imago days, they are not acting as they should. They are to represent God, and they're not. They're abominations to him. They don't reflect his nature of truth and love and goodness. But those who act faithfully are his delight. Why are they his delight? Because they reflect who he is. They reflect the character and nature of God. And so those who act truthfully reflect God. Those who are faithful to what God has called them to reflect who he is. And so when we, when we think about truth and lies, it comes down to do we want to reflect who God is or not? Do we want to be ones that are found faithful or do we want to be found as an enemy of God? This is what it comes down to. This is what it's about. And how, and then how do we live that out in this life? How do we grow in sanctification to be ones that can say, yes, I am the one who is acting faithfully. God delights in me. Or am I going to be the one who diminishes God by acting contrary to who he is? And now finally for <clears throat> this last section here, verses 23 through 28, we'll see the difference in really kind of moving away from lying in lips and truth into how do we act? <clears throat> how do we live kind of more broadly in this life? In verse 23, States, a prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of the fool proclaims folly. 24, the light, the hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will... Get precious wealth. And the path of righteousness is life. And in its pathway, there is no death. So we see here, again, <clears throat> this idea of a prudent man, a man who thinks he is knowing what he is doing. And he says a prudent man conceals knowledge he hides it but the the heart of the fool proclaims folly and this might seem a little weird i mean why would <clears throat> i 
a prudent man want to hide knowledge? And I mean, we can go to the words of Jesus. Jesus spoke in parables to hide the truth so that people wouldn't understand them, that some people wouldn't understand them. It was intentional. <coughs> Dr. Garrett, his commentary kind of sees this verse as one who is kind of caution and in caution. That there's times in which how they speak, how what information someone gives should be held back. Again, going to the story is the teachings of Jesus. When is, and this is wisdom, but when is it a point in which you're casting what is precious, pearls, before what is unclean, swine? Who don't care about pearls. So this idea of the prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of the fool became his folly is one who thinks about what's going on. And is this kind of a time to speak to, to give knowledge or is it time to hold back? But the fool just proclaims his folly. He doesn't care. He has something to say and you're going to know what he has to say. We can say in modern times, the kind of a cliche is you want to know if someone's into CrossFit, will they talk about CrossFit? You know, like there's this kind of, um, they're really excited and passionate and they can't stop talking about it. This kind of, in one way, is kind of foolish. It's not, not considering the, the situation you are. So there's times in which the prudent man knows not to speak. But the fool just proclaims. He has no caution with it. With his words. In verse 24, the hand of the diligent will rule while... The slothful will be put to forced labor. Talk about how we work. It gets down to the nitty gritty of our work. When we think about what is going on here, it's more the the reaction. The what happens. A diligent worker will have kind of control over what he does. He will be kind of ruling over it. It's not, as my pastor said when he preached on this, it's not that they're going to become like CEO of a company, but they have like dominion over their sphere of work. They have, they've, they've ruled over it. They've, they've mastered it. And, and kind of the calling of who we are, we're called to as humans to subdue and rule over the earth. So the hand of the diligent has that rule over the earth. They have control over the dominion God has given to them. But the slothful person, the person who doesn't want to work, will be put to forced labor. He's not going to be one who rules over their work. He's going to be forced to do things he's going to be in a position of being subjective subjective subject yep. <clears throat> he in one sense, he'll become come a slave to his work. His work rules over him. That's what I was trying to say. So then a call for us as Christians to fulfill the creation mandate. 
to to rule what God has given to us, to to think about what do I need to do to to master this, or it's gonna slay, it's going to become the slave over me. It's gonna it's going to rule over me and it's gonna kind of overpower me. Verse 25, anxiety in a man weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. This anxiety is something, I don't know, if, at times I have suffered with, and we all kind of have it, stress weighing us down, whether it's trying to figure out where the next meal may come from or this project deadline or just other stresses at work weighs us down. It burns us out. You know, that feeling like oh, I'll have to go to work again. Now work has been affected by the fall. But God created us to work. So this anxiety, whether it's work or other family issues or whatever it may be, you would get get that understanding. It just weighs us down. We don't we want it to go away. We're in one sense feels like we may be dying. We're losing the enjoyment of life. <clears throat> but here, this is but a good word makes him glad. Well, who who's given this good word? It's it's a friend. When my pastor taught in this, it, he stressed, I think, is is good to have godly friendships, friendships where we can speak words of life into each other. The Bible describes. He, in Proverbs here, this kind of idea that the words of life, that they, the words that help us to lift what weighs us down, to see the life around us, and to have someone to be there with us, to maybe open our eyes to truths that we know but aren't trusting in. We've lost God's or we've not, we no longer think about God's goodness in our lives. We, we don't, we don't see these things anymore. A good friend to come to give us good words, to, to help us to process and to maybe see what God is doing in our lives or just be one to encourage us in our walks. In verse 26, we kind of come back to... <clears throat> kind of living and how we we go again um Dwayne Garrett kind of parallels this with verse 23 and this kind of caution and in caution and in verse 26 he says one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor but the way of the wicked leads them astray and when you think about it the one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor he's in this sense helping them he's trying to reflect who God is and what he does. He is one who is pointing him, I think as we've seen earlier, to truth. He He's trying to show him not the way of the wicked, but the way of the righteous. And this can come in how they act, um, our ethics, in that way, 
how we live our lives be before our neighbors allows them to see what it means to be a Christian. The, the one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor to find what is holy and right. Because God is holy and right. Allows us to live in a way that they can see our good works and glorify God. <clears throat> but the way of the wicked leads them astray. We can say it, you know, and, and to think about corrupt company corrupts others. The people we're around affects us. So the way of the wicked leads the neighbors astray because it exemplifies what is wrong, what is sin. You're leading them. You're not guiding them to righteousness. You're leading them in one sense to hell. You're, you're showing them what is dishonoring to God. So how we treat our neighbors matters. How we love those who live closest to us in our homes or even those who live outside of our homes. How we treat people in the public. Do we have, in this case, caution? Do we understand what, what we're called and what we're doing and are we acting accordingly or are we living like the world and allowing the world to say, well, yeah, Christians are just like us. They do bad things. They sin. They're just like us. And losing that kind of apologetics of your life. <clears throat> this may be a little, I mean, obviously... We're all about preaching the gospel here at G220 Radio. We want the gospel to pre be preached. But one way that you exemplify your gospel message is about how you live in public. Do you take kind of the caution and understand the importance of what you do as you go in day out, day in and day out in stores and restaurants, walking in the park, talking to your neighbors? Are you guiding them to righteousness, showing what it means to be a Christian and to live as Christ has called us to live, or are you leading them astray, affirming their sin? Verse 27, we return back to work. Whoever is slothful does not roast his game, but the diligent will get precious wealth. Here we see the slothful again. He's gone out to do something. He's in this. I mean, think of the example. He's gone out and he's killed the animal to cook and he never cooks it. Something else is more important. Something else is better. Something catches his eyes. And when we, we think about that and look at that, He's neglecting kind of an important aspect of life. He is neglecting food. Not in not to to see his gluttony, but he needs food to live. And the slothful person can't even finish the task to give him his basic necessities without getting caught off to do something else. He's not diligent. He's not working till it's done. One thing I'm, I have at times not finished projects in the house. There are few projects that need to be finished kind of as a, is a example, how I don't exemplify this or I exemplify the slothful one, not finishing what I've been tasked to do or to try to get it done getting sidetracked with other things that maybe are not as important, but at the time things is better. But the diligent man 
continues in verse 27, will get precious wealth. The idea is that he he finishes it and he kind of gets paid. He gains wealth with it. He follows through and he gets the kind of reward that comes with diligent work. Going out there. I mean, if you think about even the example of slothfulness, he's, he roasts his food and he gets to enjoy it. The reward of cooking good food and enjoying it. So again, a cause to, to, I think one sense to consider what we're doing, but to do what we need to do, not to get sidetracked with things that may seem to be better or more enjoyable. You know, maybe for some of us, that's getting off social media. YouTube kind of are we being ones who are doing what God has called us to do again to to subdue the earth and have dominion over it and here finally in verse 28 in the in the path of righteousness is life and in its pathway there is no death when we consider Righteous, obviously, we cannot be righteous apart from Christ. But when we think about paths of righteousness, we see our sin, we come to the Savior, we walk in a way that glorifies God, we find life. And there's no death there. Here, it's a call for us to be ones who seek what is good what is right, what is holy, and to, to do what God has called us to do in this life. The chief in man is to worship God and to glorify him forever. And that's our lives. But even when we think about Ecclesiastes, we are to, we live in this life of toil. And so our call is to love the life that God has given to us, to love the wife of our youth, to enjoy God's good blessings in us, to work towards the Lord, to live a life of righteousness, of truth, of love. As would Paul say, there is these ideas there is no law against. And so verse 28 has us considers where, where are we going in this life? Are we seeking to live in lives in obedience to God? Thinking about our sin, how can we overcome it to continue to walk in these paths of righteousness, to be ones who are guideposts to our neighbor, to show them the way of the Lord? There is no death there. Because those who fear God understand their sin and unrighteousness before him and also realize the call to put off sin and to embrace godliness, to put off the old self and to put on the new. And that's and therefore there's no more condemnation in those whom Christ has saved. The path of righteousness is life. It brings life. It brings joyment in this life. It makes, while trials are difficult and hard, having 
on the path of righteousness brings us a joy that they cannot overcome. There is no death on the path of righteousness because that's where God is. And we can get there by the power of God through his spirit. So that is Psalm 12. Verses 15 to 28. This has been episode 520 of G220 Radio. Thanks for joining us. Next week, we'll be talking about the Catholic Church, baptism, and words. Looking at the current situation at the Catholic Church in Arizona, where the priest said the wrong word. So we'll talk about that. We'll examine it. We'll think about it as Catholic, kind of why this is important, maybe in Catholic thought. Look at it as, and really kind of look at maybe church history, how this helps us. And also, what does the 1689, we covered it probably out over a month, about a month ago or so in passing, but now kind of really focusing about kind of what is the priest role or the pastor's role with all of that. It should be a really exciting show. I'm really kind of excited about it to think about it. Um, and it's kind of more of a new. So join us next week as we talk about kind of Roman Catholicism and baptism and the activities of words. And until then, and on behalf of Ricky Gantz, my name is Mike Miller. Thank you for listening to G220 Radio. And we will see you next week. 